Philosophy versus improv is a tricky, two-headed beast. Best approach cautiously. You can do this at philosophyimprov.com or go see its mother podcast at partiallyexaminedlife.com. Best yet, make it an offering at philosophyimprov.com slash support. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. This is Bill Arnett, and I am an improv sage looking to learn about philosophy. And this is Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy aficionado who would like to learn improv. Each of us has come with a lesson in mind to convey to the other. We have two rules for the conversation. We are not going to say what that lesson is up front, and we are not going to take turns. When the lessons are done, we'll tell you what we learned, and our judges will decide which lesson produced the most profound effect. So today, I believe it was my turn to go first, but we yes, discussed a handicap, because both the last two episodes, whoever started first, it was hard to kind of even get your topic in there. Sure. So our second discussion, I started, and we, we had a good philosophical discussion, and eventually improv came in, but I'm suggesting less a handicap than a handy comfort that I will open up. With an invitation, because of course I want to convey, but I also want to learn. So my opening question is, do you think death is something that we should fear? I will invite you, instead of just straightforwardly answering it, you could start a scene for us. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, it probably shouldn't be at a doc. We've already been a doctor's office. So we should probably be somewhere other than a doctor's office. I mean, unless we did not milk the doctors. It seems <laughs> there were lots of things about doctor's yes. offices. No one played with the tongue depressors. There was lots of comedy gold in there. Yeah, so there's so many things that have been missed. However, I don't want to come all across that. I got this great doctor's office improv scenes. Put them anywhere else. It's a disaster. We'll be somewhere other than a doctor's office. And you're doing the scene with me, yeah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right. <clears throat> uh, hello, Mr. Wilson. Um, we've got your grandmother over in the ICU right now. She's, uh, we'll see. We'll see. It was a uh, pretty bad spill down the stairs and, uh, We'll see. She's resting comfortably now, but uh, we'll see. I'm not sure why you came into a McDonald's to tell me this. I mean, I know I was planning to be in the doctor's office later because of what I had heard about that. I'm an attending physician, and uh, I went to the waiting room, and like, yeah, he, we think he went over to the McDonald's across the street, and uh, frankly, no in the cafeteria here, I don't blame you. So I just, I wanted to come, just personal touch. I just, I, I sometimes I feel like I should just take advantage of every minute hearing this about my grandmother makes me me wonder. And what would I like to be doing in the last minutes of my life is uh, eating some delicious McDonald's food, in quotes. Well, you know, I mean, there's some other places just a little bit down the street. If food, if, well, I guess, you know, when you think about your last minute, is it the last minute or the last collection of minutes? And if you've got more than a minute, maybe you, you could. There's a very nice cafe that does, just does kind of breakfast stuff all day. Uh, but really nice sandwiches and French toast and things if you're trying to get some food in. But your grandmother, we don't know. She could pull through. She might not. She is well over 80. She appears to be at least medically. So um, she's actually 97. Wow. I mean, it's tattooed on her, but I, I that was a recent thing. Maybe you thought that that was, uh, meant something else. We, we only saw that and just weren't sure what it was. We weren't sure if it was a medical alert kind of a thing or 97 or, you know, when people have numbers tattooed on their arms, it can sometimes mean things, but we, well, Wilson maybe he probably doesn't mean that. But if she's 97 years old, that's quite fantastic. She's in good shape for 97. However, a fall down the stairs can be 
pretty devastating. Uh, when you're ready to come over, you can visit if you like. You may have some paperwork to fill out, and I don't know if you've discussed any final plans, but um, it might be a good idea to get some of that file. Oh, oh, definitely let her go. I mean, it's it's been like when we tattooed that on her, on her, you would think that an age, something that might become obsolete very quickly, would mm-hmm. not be the thing to tattoo on a person. Uh, but we're pretty confident that, okay. uh, you know, it's been enough. Sure. Uh, she had a long, wonderful life. She's done so many wonderful things in her life. She's, I think, visited Ohio at least twice. All right. She's cured rabies, was it? I don't remember exactly. Uh, I think there's still rabies. It probably wasn't rabies. I don't know. It's kind of, we have a box of, of newspaper clippings. It's very thick, uh, mostly from sort of local papers that, uh, highlight when you, uh, do especially well at kickball or host something. You've got some ketchup on your side of your lip. You want to corner your oh. mouth, take care of that. That's fine. I feel like if this was going to be my last day on earth, worrying about things like ketchup on my face. I mean, you might have noticed by my shirt that I, I don't pay attention to that kind of thing. I take it pretty easy. Well, again, you know, your last blank, your last day, your last month, your last minute, those all could invoke different actions, I guess. If it was your last day and McDonald's was what you wanted, then you probably wouldn't mind ketchup on your on your shirt. Uh, last 20 years, I'm not going to McDonald's, but I do appreciate it. You know, your grandmother go, that's fine. We can do that. We have some paperwork to sign. Are you the power of attorney or? Um, you know, I don't sweat that kind of stuff, but let's say yes, sure. Well, what we do, we do sweat that kind of stuff. If we let someone die who perhaps had expressed concern to live, well, then that would, that would put us in some real li- liability. Presuming you're the son, grandson, yeah, I mean, I thought that was implied. That in, in, I, I said yes. grandmother. I mean, I, I guess uh, in my culture, just anybody that is elderly, we sometimes call grandma. Sure, sure. Well, whenever you're done here, you went Big Mac and Nuggets and a shake. I, I This is actually my, my second shake. I usually bring one with me and then I get one freshly and then so I can kind of compare. Well, I mean, I am a doctor and I... I hope you can appreciate the irony of someone concerned with their life going to McDonald's, doing a double entree, a double shake could actually end up limiting your life. I realize you're not my patient, but I kind of Hippocratic oath. I got to say that right now. So I I hope you aren't constantly faced with the end of your life, causing you to eat horribly in the course of which would actually be shortening your life. If I were to die, who would that really hurt? Well, maybe death doesn't hurt, but the part right before death might hurt, depending on how your death was achieved. If you had a safe land on your head, I think that moment right before death would be incredibly short. May not even register before your brain is pulverized. Uh, if you died by torture, you know, you got caught by ISIS or something, that could be a long death, which could be painful. But the, the actual act of dying may well be painless. I mean, I guess it depends what you think pain is and how that relates to you as a, as a person. Uh, pain hurts. It hurts. It's when your nerves say, stop. This isn't, I don't like this. This is not good. That's just me. People come into the office all the time. Hey, this, my elbow hurts. I got foot pain in my foot. My back hurts. And, you know, no one has liked it. No one has said they enjoy it. There might be some people out there who enjoy pain in certain parameters. But in general, I have yet to see someone who loves having plantar fasciitis. That's not really a, hadn't happened yet, or at least they haven't come in for it. It's just there's a distinction between the way things are uh-huh. and what you ought to do about them. And so, uh, you know, pain is like your body calling out to you and saying, hey, hey, you don't do that thing. 
but I, I might, you know, why do I need to listen to that? I mean, it's annoying. I might just want to shut it up. It interferes. It's loud. Hey, you know what? I, I don't know what the Eastern philosophy you got to adapt to turn off pain, but hey, go for it, man. If that's your thing, you know, sometimes pain does signal deeper problems. Sometimes something that can be easily fixed and could be fixed, but pain happens. It occurs. Uh, we can't turn it off all the time. You know, we can have this discussion on the way back to the hospital if you want. I don't know if you want to finish all that food now or do it to go thing, but I could just leave it here. I could, I could always get more. It's fine. And if you're not really worried about your imminent demise, you could get less. That's fine too. I'm, I'm going to take everything that's, in fact, um, ma- ma'am, can I, you're not going to eat that, right? Can I, Are you kidding? Okay, so Are you I'm kidding? Gonna, Did you really just steak food from somebody? I just added a little, she, she was clearly getting up to leave and there was some perfectly good big blob of ketchup and some leftover, a rather cold looking fries, but you know, it seemed like a, a terrible waste. Maybe letting your grandmother go so easily would be a terrible waste. You know, maybe, maybe we, maybe we should try to say, maybe, you know what? All right. Let's, let's check it out. Let's see how she's doing. Okay. We'll check her out and maybe we'll see. We'll see. Are there any other siblings? Any other, uh, next of kin? Uh, not that I, you know, I've kept track of. Not that you kept track of. Okay. Well, might be alive. Might, be, you know, it, it's, it's fine. Well, we've got a social worker on staff. We'll, we'll, we'll have them take care of that. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and head back now. If I had a pager, it'd probably be going off about now. So let me, I'm going to head back and. All right. I'll just be right behind you. That's cool. Take your time. It's fine. And scene. Perfect. Yay. Okay. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so I was going to have you be hit by a car on the way out, but because, because, because <laughs> of course that would be, yes. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm allowed to make that choice. Once you step out of the scene, I think I can make that choice for you. <laughs> you certainly could. Watch out for that car crash. Well, I wasn't sure how we were going to get across the street. We we're going to have a silent grandmother. We we're going to start doing a, a silly voice for the grandmother. Hey, she can just be there, just be making beeping noises and we can pretend to hear her. anything can happen. We're only, only limited by our biases and expectations. So it sounded like from, I feel when I, I'm trying to bring up some of these historical philosophical arguments that to actually try to do them in a conversation with someone mm-hmm. where I'm not just like telling them about a philosophy I heard kind of makes you sound like a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great observation to make because the audience is judging us based on the context of this moment and the context of doctor talking to next of kin perhaps being philosophical could perhaps be well philosophical without if if you maybe had some emotional sadness behind it all or maybe you know maybe you were suffering a little bit more you may not have sounded so sociopathic but simply being a little glib i would concur did make you sound a little sociopathic there was probably a way to make that character still be able to be entirely chill with a 97 year old person who knows if it's a reliable narrator if this person actually is 97 but you know passing away it's a perfectly reasonable approach oh yeah if someone has lived in fact a full life oh, and you've yeah. already said your goodbyes and oh, yeah. maybe you don't feel the, the not to that level of callousness there there certainly was some choices made i think just from the first time i opened my mouth i felt like you can't then inject emotion in this <laughs> <laughs> a few minutes later it just wouldn't make a lot of sense well and you can certainly there's this idea that you know the more we know the level of detail we know about your your grandmother the more we can soften those edges so if you're you know responsible well, you know, she's been in and out of the hospital for the last decade or so. It hasn't been if, but when. And we've actually made a lot of, we've had several, this could be the last time we see grandma moments. So 
Can't say it isn't expected. You know, there, there are ways that you can provide more information that makes it, oh, yeah, I can. This guy could be fairly glib about this. That makes perfect sense. I, I would be, too. I would be, too. I've had uh, relatives go suddenly, and I've had relatives, just as I said, it's not if but when. And it's a different experience, and I think everyone acknowledges that that, that is a different experience. One of the things lurking there, I mean, I asked you the direct question, do you think, who is death bad for? <laughs> if I died, who would it hurt? And you sort of dodged that. That is a question that is not rhetorical when asked by at least certain ancient Greeks. Because if I disappear, mm-hmm. then there's no one there to be harmed anymore. It becomes some weird puzzle of what's mm-hmm. the me now who might have existed. And then you're talking about potential people. And are you really going to regard the, the interests of potential people as, as worth defending? Well, you know, if someone enjoys your company and you pass away, then you've robbed them of potential future pleasure of your company. I guess if you were in some kind of marriage or relationship where you were sharing burdens or child raising or, or revenue generation and one partner were to die, that could burden the other person, at least in the short term. Yes. I mean, so yeah. that is <laughs> maybe that's the too- obvious, the obvious rejoinder is of course. And Hey, audience members, don't kill yourself. <laughs> that's too practical of a thing. Don't read philosophy and think that killing yourself is okay because somebody is not going to be happy with that. Even if you are okay with that, you jump off a building, some poor schlub's going to have to scrape you off the pavement, and that's not going to be a fun job. So you know, let's not make things hard for everybody. <laughs> yes, which, I mean, I, we're getting rather grim here, but I yes. invited this. But I knew somebody, personally, not terrifically well, who did kill himself, but he actually got a body bag and got in it. Oh, my gosh. So there's a certain level of concern about, but of course judging by the funeral that I went for him and the great number of mourners who were cursing his poor judgment. Yes. <laughs> and going through with this, you know, I, far be it for me to want to morally impugn someone who is obviously ill, uh, you know, seriously, yes, seriously depressed, seriously, but it's in no way a good thing. No matter how considerate you try to be about it and you send everybody your letters and like, nope, nope, it still sucks. It does. And, and I mean, Maybe we, maybe we should end our, our suicide comments, <laughs> commentary now. It gets, it gets very depressing and mental illness in general. I guess, well, if we want to pivot off mental illness, when does something stop being a personality trait and start being a mental illness? I guess that might be a pivot we could take. <laughs> when does shyness stop being, oh, he's just a little shy and start being, oh, you've got a personality disorder? Yeah, I'm not even sure what kind of response is available to that it seems like you'd want to give a very practical response of just sort of how correctable it is <laughs> or typically i feel like even in you know self diagnoses and things it's sort of is the thing interfering with your life is your video game addiction causing you to lose your job and your relationships and things and if so perhaps it is a mental illness rather than merely a a quirk sure i could see that but if it's just that person i mean who am i hurting not by killing myself, but instead sitting in front of the video games all day. Am I hurting anybody? Am I hurting anyone else? So there's the potential. This is what I think about in terms of my mother passed away just over a decade ago now. And I still think of events that we're at and like, oh, she would have loved being at this. And mm-hmm. it really would have added an extra dimension if she were here and that kind of stuff. So, you know, definitely, even though that was a case where it was like diagnosed, Five years beforehand, you know, 
kind of long expected, maybe not exactly then, but you know, it was not an if, but a win. Enough time to get used to it and grieve far in advance. So yeah, there's that potential. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Again, I'm, we're trying to pivot off death here, and I, I, I <laughs> some, <laughs> maybe I, I'm the one who brought it back. Here's something that I think is a personality quirk that I would love to be considered a mental illness, and that's people who are jerks, people who are who are just assholes, for lack of a better word. Used car salesmen, even though not all used car salesmen, but they archetypical used car salesmen. People who have a level of selfishness and disregard for others. Maybe 5,000 years ago, you would love to have that person in your caveman army. And it's like, man, I'm glad we got a bunch of those people who have no regard for other people to go give them spears and send them to the, <laughs> to the next village over. But maybe today, maybe that's a bad thing. So is the distinction maybe between at least one of the ways people commonly cut it up, I think, is between if you choose to act that way, if you let yourself get in habits that are that way, you're, you know, you're just a jerk. You uh, maybe can be visited by three spirits and <laughs> turned around or whether there really is something that you are just unable to see things from other people's points of view, whether you're on the spectrum or have a various cognitive differences. If they come up as making you a very repellent person, probably we would call them deficiencies. <laughs> <laughs> I've met one reformed butthole my entire life, but the overwhelming majority... I have found to be unreformable and I don't know. <laughs> I just avoid them and exorcise them from my life as much as I can. But I think that should be a mental illness. I think they should be a pill for that or something. What age was the reformed butthole? Was the buttholeness still showing up? <laughs> because it seems like if, if I'm just thinking about who is a jerk in elementary school, like a lots of people reform from there, you know, that's just growing up. Oh, well, do they? I've only hold down to so many people from elementary school. You know, I would say this guy, he was probably in college or right after college. And he had this realization that like, I don't have a lot of friends anymore. And I miss being part of a community and being part of people <laughs> and whatnot. I need to stop being a jerk. Now that said, he is an aggressive personality. He's going to be the loudest person in the room. He's got a big laugh and loves laughing. But yeah, he's a big guy and you don't miss him. And he can be an aggressive personality. but. I think it was that realization of like, boy, sometimes my aggressiveness, maybe I shouldn't laugh at the pain of others. Maybe <laughs> I need to not do that so much. But he has admitted that he came about it intellectually. And I think that's kind of interesting. That's kind of cool. Do you think that a near-death experience might be the kind of thing that would turn someone around? We are getting away from death. We're getting away. I'm going to stop you right there. We're getting away from death. <laughs> All right. You're going to know and know me. I'm going to yes your choice to play a character who's always mentioning, you're so morbid. Why are you so morbid? My character no denoted you. My actor yes you. I getcha. See, we, we hadn't started a scene. You, you, <laughs> didn't, you didn't raise the flag. Is there a filter on Zoom that we can turn the entire screen red when we're in a scene? And then we'll just have a constant tone. So everyone listening is like, this is a scene. Just, that would work beautifully. We could put that in in post, or perhaps yeah. that if we're in a scene, perhaps I already did put down the background uh, of mm -hmm. McDonald's patrons behind mm -hmm. us to texture that. I doubt I will go through that trouble, but it's a possibility. Yeah, we'll have a different tone when it's kind of meta, maybe more a higher. And then the sound engineer isn't sure if there's listening to improv or not. And then just a very low tone if they are certain it's not improv. That might be. And I don't see any problem with any of that. I don't see there being a problem with a constant 
tone behind everything, behind a 30-minute discussion. We could, uh, in fact, invite a guest on to be the tone that we've exactly. been thinking about. How would we incorporate a guest? And I think some of our big Hollywood friends oh, might yeah. want, want to come in. It's maybe somebody that has a really good soprano, can really hit that high tone and just have it shriek constantly. We can maybe put it on a loop, but I'd rather just have them really present for the whole time. Well, they're there. I mean, they're, they're coming to be on the show. Let's give them a job to do. Yep. And they can just, they can just be that tone, you know, and between the three of them, they can decide we'll have a soprano and a tenor and a bass and they can decide amongst themselves. Are we improvising? Are we not improvising? Or is it unclear? It doesn't have to be loud. Let me just say that right. It doesn't have to be loud, but a constant buzzing. And we'll have to say, if you hear a buzzing, it's not your machinery. It's not your equipment. This buzz was intentionally put in so you would not be confused. And sometimes we change the buzzing depending on how the listener, about their environment, that if they're in a busy place, we might yeah. put in busy place sounds in the you're background. In a car, if there could be some honking horns. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this on a motorcycle, don't do that. Now, you see, we fell into a scene right there, and that was very nice and seen. Let's not have constant tones <laughs> on the program. I think that'd be a terrible idea. I thought there was no such thing as bad ideas, that if we just get somebody who's really effective at being the tone, who maybe would stop and say, it's a living, because yeah. it's an animal, it's a talking animal that yeah. we've gotten Flintstone style to do the tone. If we get Morgan Freeman to do a tone and he would agree to it, you just want me to make a noise the entire time? Well, not, not the entire time, but if you, if you think we're having an honest moment, just make a low rumble. Do you want me to say anything? No, just Maybe do that. Morgan Freeman just did that. Maybe yeah. that was him. <laughs> wow. Wow. Mm, penguins. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I... <laughs> we, we played that thread out. I think we played that thread out pretty, pretty good. <laughs> are, are, are we done with today's competition or do you have some more to teach me? <laughs> I don't know. I think I kind of got a hinted at what I was doing and I tried to do what I wanted to get across. I have not, I have not been checking the clock. If we need any fill or anything, we can provide it. I think I've been looking at about 30 minutes of raw footage before we say we're wrapping it up. But last time we were on fire with that long scene and then having a whole discussion after that. It was a good 45. But sometimes things are coming to an end, a death of the episode. And you might just be okay with that because everything ends. And that's just part of life. You got to adapt to it. And there's no point in fighting the stream of history, the stream of nature. That's actually a way to bring it back to the topic. That was, that was very well done. There's something that I kind of, in improv, I call the what next moment. And they happen in life. And the what next moment is you pick up your friend from the airport and it's like, hey, all right, can I help you with your bag? Get you the back? Are you hungry? Did you use the bathroom or anything? All right, let's get in the car. So how's Diane? You know, you, there's this moment where you have done the greet. You have done the handshake, the hug, the whatever. You have serviced the, the physical needs. And now there is a moment where you then would transition to so a different topic, but there's this little silence, this little pause. Uh, the what, well, what do we talk about now? And those happen in improv scenes, especially lifelike improv scenes, because they happen in life all the time. And we can't really predict how long those moments are going to be. However, they will be interspersed with these little what next moments and navigating those what next. You can really tell a great improviser if they can navigate those what next moments. Yeah, we without freaking out or being weird or strange. But I think what we had is, and what we are currently pushing through is a what next moment. As you said, the death of our prior conversation occurred, not because it was broken or wrong, but that was its natural. That's just when God chose to call it back to heaven. And now 
We have added a little bit more, and this too will come to a close at some point. Not because it's broken or wrong, it's just that's it's natural, the natural state of things. It had been hospitalized for at least five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we knew it was coming sooner or later. Yeah. We put all of its things in order, donated a lot of stuff. And it's nice to have that little moment to say goodbye finally. It's nice. Because you never know when. And then the whole episode is over. No, okay. right we're, not, we're not actually going to end the episode this right This weird there, hard I, cut. This hard cut. <laughs> and the really somber music. Like the end of uh, Incredible Hulk, the TV show. Like the end of the whole series? I'm not familiar with that. So the TV just show. The end where he's walking off. Where he's walking off hitchhiking down the road. And it's just this really somber piano music. Oh, so depressing. Everyone can Google. Maybe we put, a, we put a link in the description to someone on YouTube, I'm sure, has ripped it and stuck it on YouTube. And he's probably like, if I was going to die tomorrow, this is what I want to walk off to. Yeah. To this, this music. <laughs> every single time. Yeah. Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby hitchhiking down the road. I'm not going to have three children of different ethnicities and raise yeah. them. That's not going to be my spinoff of the Brady Bunch thing that I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to be having a courtship with my son in a terribly named other show. Well, you have out Bill Bixby'd me. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure that the, the <laughs> prize will be... Uh, Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that was an important part of my 70s childhood. That was your goal for today, was to get some Bill Bixby IMDb <laughs> trivia. Into the, well, mission accomplished. I think philosophy won. You're going to make me pull up IMDb now for Bill Bixby, because <laughs> what is next is IMDbing Bill Bixby, just like the best improv comedians do. They stop, they look <laughs> something up on IMDb, because they're like, I'm not sure what to do next in the scene. And he is a best-known... Do you guess what he's best known for? Incredible Hulk. Nope. He's best known for... See, there's not even anything <laughs> in the whole row. It's the death of the Incredible Hulk, the Incredible Hulk returns, the trial of the Incredible Hulk. So, yes. But his death came during the filming, I'm going to assume, of whatever he was last in, which was 1993's Blossom, where he played the voice of a cop. I believe while he was uttering those lines, which were something like, stop that blossom or you're going to jail. Then he immediately died. That's horrible. That's horrifying. Is that true? Do I have anybody to verify? At least his last line wasn't like, I'm feeling really dizzy. I think I need to sit down. And they just use that in the show because Can we get a few more of those? Can we get two or three more? Yeah. Voiceover thing. He's so method. He's so method. He's sitting down holding his head. I would feel like if I did an audio, a studio uh, recording of Morgan Freeman and he was supposed to just do the tone and yeah. he just went into a fever dream, mm-hmm. I think I would, I would have to use all that. We would figure some way to incorporate it, maybe have him be one of our uh, judges. That's just fantastic. Yeah. Mr. Bigsby, if we ever need anyone to be in a film who's having a stroke, we're going to call you. Mr. Bigsby, are you? A- Hello? Mr. B- He's just so method. Should we call somebody? No, the man's a professional. He has put himself in this actor fugue state because he's just so good. He's just that good. I really think he's having a heart attack or a stroke or something. Well, he's just that good. He's just that good. Do not call an ambulance. That's how it happened. That's how I imagined it all happened. Did you ever see the last, I remember watching on TV, the last performance of Richard Pryor on the Norm MacDonald show called Norm. Are you familiar with this? Yes, but I did not view it. Yeah, I remember watching it at the time that he was already like fully paralyzed and they made a joke about it. They cut to somebody who is obviously not paralyzed 
that like got up and I don't know, beat the shit out of Norm or what, whatever <laughs> the other character that was there and then went back to the chair and then they, you know, showed Richard Pryor again just to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fun. So the fact that someone in that position, instead of saying, you know, the thing that I was born for, I can't do anymore. I might as well just uh, end it all here. He had a sense of humor about it and allowed himself to be put on display in that what some might consider a very undignified or, you know, it's really hard to see somebody that you've, you've gotten in your head. Was it Kurt, uh, not Kurt Russell? Uh, Kurt Cobain? No, Kurt Russell's father, unless I'm mixing this up. Uh, Jim Russell. Don't know. <laughs> there was some very elderly actor who continued to do appearances after he'd had his various strokes and things. And after seeing this guy in so many movies, Kirk Douglas, that's who I'm thinking of. Okay. <laughs> Not Kurt Russell's father, Michael Douglas's father. Yes. To let himself be seen in that I can barely talk, but I'm going to make jokes with you and I'm going to give a, I think it was an Oscar speech or something like that. Yeah. You know, that it's uh, nice to be around. I don't care what condition you're in. Just please stick around. Yeah. Audience members. Well, you know, not shying away from mortality is probably might be a little healthy for all humanity to perhaps, if not embrace, maybe not perhaps. And maybe this is what you're going. Is this what you were going for? Coming to terms with mortality? Is that what is that? Was that your lesson for today? A lot of these lessons are more a series of questions. And the particular idea from historical philosophy was that one, I believe, from Epicurus and Plato has a similar thing where death is not to be feared because you're not there anymore. <laughs> so no harm can come to you. That, of course, is terrible when applied to ethics, although people do apply that to animal ethics, right? Well, I don't want to torture the chickens, but if I just kill them, yeah. what are their lives for anyway? Let's just... <laughs> Let's eat. Yeah. <laughs> that can be a different topic. Okay, well, <laughs> that came across. Any ideas what I was going for? Uh, geez, let me think back. So this we can definitely edit down. So that's not <laughs> so, yeah. so long. No, the audience wanna, needs to hear I you don't think. Just, I don't want to just like, give up. And that guy's, Mark's really making it. It's clear to us listeners what Bill was going for. Why can't Mark just say it? I can dub in myself saying something smart later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I won't do that because this is supposed to be authentic. I'm going to claim that I have a, a thing during podcasts where whether it's the being on stage, whether it's the being in the moment, where my mind more or less empties itself. <laughs> and so <laughs> it is, it does require that if when I go back and do the editing pass on this, then I will have a wonderful idea of what you were trying to convey. But why don't you put it more explicitly for the empty headed here like me? I am very cool. If you want to listen back and try to distill what it is and then splice it in as though you said it, my only requirement is that the audio quality is sufficient to make people suspect that is what you did. You don't have to own it. You don't have to say I did it. But as long as you can go back and kind of splice it in with kind of through a different microphone or through a different <laughs> different package, different software package. Make like, did he just splice in? I thought you said use all fart <laughs> jokes all the time. There you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I was going for today was detail. And I talked a little bit about it and this whole notion that the difference between a Dick and Jane book and as books get more complicated for children, they add detail. What kind of people are Dick and Jane? I have no idea. I don't, they don't even read those books anymore. But we don't even know what kind of people they are. We just know that they like hanging out together and they like to throw a ball around and they've got a dog that they share. I don't know. Is it a street dog? I don't know. Spot and they run. And then that's all we really know about them. As children's literature and whatnot gets more and more complicated, it's that level of detail where we really get to know who these people are. And it gives them resonance and it gives them gravity and it gives them 
We know them. We feel we know them. So I know that as an unreliable narrator, the character that I was playing was not giving good detail, say, about his grandmother. Do you think that it was too gimmicky, too much still trying to be funny in terms of the detail that he was revealing about himself? I'm going to talk in third person because I think that is the most pretentious way to do it. (laughs) And that it was so jokey that it actually was hard to actually fit it into what could be a coherent, believable personality. Yes and no. If that was a scene and we gave it to some good actors and said, all right, you, you guys, you know, go practice this for a little while. We wrote it down for you and present it back to us. I bet the person playing you, Mark, you're playing your character after several reads through it would begin to try to find an emotional space for that person. Would they be more flippant? Would they be more serene? And whatever choice they choose to make in that moment for that redoing of the scene, I would consider a detail. I would consider that a worthwhile detail about this this person. And if you're just like, well, you know, Grandma, she, <laughs> I mean, what is life really? What is life? What is, what is pain? I'm giving a lot of details about me, about the kind of person I am, because you get to see what I feel about. You get to see what I care about. You get to see my process of grieving. And you could also be really flippant about it. Well, you know, yeah, Grandma, it was not if, but when, I guess. But what is death, really? I don't know. Pain? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You know, what are those things? I don't know. You could turn up one or the other and suddenly you'd have a more well-rounded character. They could mm-hmm. still be quite despicable, but we, I think we, the audience, would know and understand them better depending on how you chose to support that emotionally with the same words. Right. And I guess while I'm resisting, like I'm picturing again kind of Saturday Night Live skits, which of course are written and judged <laughs> and practiced. And someone says there's no idea there at all. We have to have at least half an idea to drag that out for 10 minutes to make it a Saturday Night Live skit. But that a lot of those characters are specifically exaggerated. In other words, well-rounded is not even a word you would want to apply to them. But on the other hand, when I think of Van Down by the River, say, Matt Foley, uh, Chris Farley's character, I don't know if well-rounded, apart from the obvious literal offensive term way of putting that, is applicable, but vivid. And you could definitely... I don't know if it's like Jiminy Glick level or Borat level in terms of like you could have a whole show or a whole movie with this character in it. We've had many examples of Saturday Night Live characters that made the jump to films that should not, you know, were not, <laughs> were not defined in that way. And it came across entirely unnatural to, yeah. I never actually saw the Coneheads movie, but I'm just now imagining a uh, Coneheads dealing with cancer scene in that movie. That might have gotten it the Oscar, but I'm thinking that it wouldn't work. I want to guess you probably don't have to see that movie. That one can not occur, and I don't think it's going to affect your life. But that could die, and there would be little to no ripple effect throughout the rest of humanity. And well-rounded from a craftsman's point of view, as opposed to well-rounded as a personality, as a craftsman of characters, that well-rounded person is going to be one that I could play a long time. I could be easily, you know, guy who cries at everything and cries easily. I can do that all day. And in that regard, as a craftsman, I consider that a well-thought-out, well-rounded character. You can put him at Denny's, put him anywhere. That's not going to be a problem. I mean, Matt Foley, we could each list five things that could occur to Matt Foley, and it would be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Makes total sense. He goes to the one diner that has free coffee refills. Right. And he goes there early and he's made friends with the servers, you know, or at least one server because he knows he can get free coffee and a piece of toast and he pays with change. It's like, yeah, I can see that happening. And it's when we know these people and it's that level of detail from the original Matt Foley scenes that lets us visualize. All right. I know who this guy is. 
how he behaves, ill-fitting clothes, the fact that he lives in a van down by the river, that he's thrice divorced, how he carries himself tells us who he is. I see, I know that guy. And I bet I could guess other things that are true about him or reasonably true. You're making a good pitch for the Matt Foley prequel films where a a talented young, maybe even you, less uh, unhealthy actor could uh, take on these parts. And how did he get married three times? He probably wasn't talking like that the whole time. I think those marriages would not have even started. There must have been some evolution there. (laughs) Definitely sweaty, I think, the entire time. I I think that was probably from the very beginning. He's probably a very convincing guy. He probably is really can talk a really good game. And I bet if he could find somebody and really profess his love to them, I bet they would say yes. Do you think the audience loves hearing about sketches that aired 30 years ago? I think they <laughs> definitely love that, especially if they have no if they're young people who have no idea who we're talking about. That uh-huh. will be, uh, oh, we should uh, go to the judges. Yeah, let's see what won this time. I don't even. All right. So there's only four judges left. Yeah. Um, it, we had some more attrition. All four of them are handing holding papers out to us. Let's just take them all. Mine says philosophy won because it was successfully able to steer the scene away from the immediate action of getting you back to the hospital. All right. Well, this just says fish. I don't know what that means. So I think we can just discard that one. <laughs> what, yeah. is this, what is the second one you have say? The second one is uh, look at the other envelope is what this one says. <laughs> okay. And then this one says the other envelope is lying. So I... <laughs> I guess that's only one vote out of four. I think uh, (laughs) I think we know who should stick around next time because these are not useful. Yeah, guys, ladies, you three, maybe uh, the time has come. All right, they don't look very happy about that, but we'll have some discussions after the uh, episode about it. At least they'll get their lives back, which I think maybe they'll be happy about. Maybe this is (laughs) see even the one that has the vote on it. It also says on the back of it, "Help, help! Please get me out of this uh, soundproof bubble." Yeah. So I, that's probably just nonsense, though. Look, I, I don't really put that much stake in that. bubble was expensive, and I don't want to just, I want to get some use out of it. It was most of the production cost. Was that soundproof bubble? Not a room, not a closet. It's a bubble. Yeah. We were supposed to have, uh, originally, we were going to hire a, an actual PhD philosopher, and uh, the budget all went to the bubble. So sorry. All went to the bubble. Yeah. And that was, I want to get some use out of it before we just don't use it anymore. And once again, the judge talk goes that much too long. I enjoyed learning from you today, Bill. It was great fun, Mark, as always. So long. Take care of yourself, everybody. Don't die. Well, do your rest. We're now entering the uh, post-game portion again, perhaps for supporters, perhaps for everybody. The dramatic irony will persist in this until... All this actually gets released to the public. We've had, I don't know, have you gotten any? I had a few people that I got to listen to episode one. I don't know if anybody actually sent me feedback for episode two. Episode three, this is the first time we haven't even heard it, that it's still in Tyler's hands, mm-hmm, our, mm-hmm. our capable editor, and he's has had other things that he had to get to first. So that is the, the risk, unless we you know wait two weeks between each recording. We cannot yeah. necessarily learn from our mistakes. Well, yeah, it's, there's a, there's just a delay in the mistake learning, and I think that it would allow people to then place the episodes in time. Should all the time codes be removed, you could then realize, oh, well, they they did that mistake, but they didn't know to fix it until later. No, I haven't had any. <laughs> the, most of the, the feedback I've gotten, I'm going to go ahead and pull a plug on that little jokey scenario. 
the feedback I've gotten has been mostly generically supportive. Mm-hmm. You're uh, doing a thing. I appreciate that you're doing a thing. Sounds great. I respect great. you as a person. Maybe I listened to it. Maybe I didn't, but good job. <laughs> yeah. Good, good for you. Look, it sounded like you were having a lot of fun. That's the, the generic in the improv world, the backhanded compliment. You guys were having a lot of fun out there. I could really see you guys having so much fun. And that usually means I came within inches of poking my own eyes out. So uh, now, now you know, and now you can throw that around your, your community as well. And that can be a little inside joke. So I did think a little more about your handicap comment last time. Oh, yeah. And before I settled on what actually seemed reasonable, what I did today, mm-hmm. if we're going to make scenes a part of this, not necessarily every time, but a, a lot of the time. But there are other, you know, we could just have a silly handicap every time. You're allowed to start, but uh, you can only use verbs. So the first four <laughs> sentences you said, you know, that seems just agonizing for all concerned. Like there are, there are probably some creative ones. So let's just both set our brains to thinking about those. And we welcome audience suggestions. Sure. Especially from the, the diehards that are listening this far in or, or supporter audio, which we need some way to, uh, I don't know, we're having enough fun. And this is experimental enough. I don't know if people think we're working hard enough to want to uh, pay us to do it. It's work for me. My children are stuck watching television while I'm doing this. So just everyone to know, I can't afford a nanny. I can't afford, you know, to have them play and learn and be productive members of society. I have to put them in front of that horrible, damned television. So help me help the children whom are the future. How's that pitch? Is that... (laughs) Except for the whom, uh, I'm, I'm down with it. Okay. <laughs> Just to be pedantic about it. Okay. Did I not use it correctly? I thought I did. It is a nominative case. They, 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 they are the future. They. It's not them are the future. This is really interesting. But aren't, aren't they the object of who the future is? I'll yes, let you. They are, uh, am, the, the future is actively whoming them. That is their uh, become objective case. By their, fair enough, uh, I was trying to be. I was putting on airs and trying to be snotty by saying "whom" for dramatic and effect. I should <laughs> disobeyed some sort of improv law by. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, were, there was a better response to that. I would expect I nothing less, Mark. I would expect nothing less. All right. Well, <laughs> let's bumble along to the next thing, and we'll be hooking up in another two weeks, so we have some time to absorb. I had said before the last one, just a, just one more underground tidbit. That maybe whoever's not starting, at least if I was not starting, that I would come with a deck of ideas. I would be oh, able to maybe okay. pick on the fly which idea seems like it would work best with what you're talking about. And I may still do that because there are some, like if I really want to talk about, you know, like the, the issue last time where I don't even remember what my topic was right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> but, you know, if I want to talk about the progress of science or something, I definitely last time kind of well, we're doing a scene and I don't know that, oh, it was egalitarianism. And I can stuff this in the scene a little bit, but I'm not going to like twist the scene to make it about people philosophizing about the thing the way that we kind of did today all the time. So it would probably behoove me to have several ideas ready. But I think I thought of so many ideas and we waited two weeks. I was on, you know, went on a trip and we waited two weeks to record that when I actually got down to it, like I didn't remember 
<laughs> in detail. Anyway, and so I just, you know, came up with some singular thing. That I have day. a little <laughs> piece of paper by my computer that I will jot ideas on, but there's ideas from different parts of my life in different sectors of the piece of paper. Mm. And then my drink will get sit on it and then sweat into it. And then a little pile of <laughs> tortilla chips will then degrease onto it. And then the cat will come and tear it up when he's hungry. So you're a real analog individual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the history. Are you a history of science fan, Mark? Do you like history of science material? I don't know that much about it compared to other things, you know, philosophically related, but like there's some fun stuff. Are you familiar with uh, James Burke and his series is no, is this your, this is your recommendation for today? This is going to be a recommendation. I'm going to do this to everybody because the British historian, James Burke, is that who you're talking about? Yes. He's had a number of series. He was actually there during the moon landings. He was the BBC correspondent for the moon landings. And he went on to produce a couple series. One is called Connections. And it's fine. It's interesting. It's fun. But then the one that I think you would really appreciate is a series called The Day the Universe Changed. And it's six or seven or eight parts about the history of of ideas. Gotcha. May have been on YouTube, but all the series is kind of like, as human thought changes, our reality changes. Our ability to describe reality, because our ability to describe reality evolves, reality evolves. Well, that is definitely, you know, related to the sort of philosophy of science stuff that I have read. The little well, that I have go. read is that progress from old school we just keep advancing toward perfection, toward no, no, it's incommensurable paradigms. And something in that line will be an eventual topic, but perhaps I'll wait until we've freshly covered it on Partially Examined Life. And so I have it <laughs> top of mind. I guess my recommendation for you, something that I've really been getting a kick out of recently. I was not aware of this series when it was on the air, but it was recommended by another podcaster. Is a Nathan for you? Have you seen that show? Little bits and pieces. But. It is highly regarded in my general friend circle. Yes. So genius, stupid business ideas. <laughs> yeah. Of one example episode that I recently, it's trying to help a pet store sell more pets. Well, when do people want pets? When their old pet dies. So can we put up some sort of advertising in a pet cemetery? So let's <laughs> buy, you can't advertise in a pet cemetery, but you can put whatever you want on your pet's gravestone. So that is the starting point to <laughs> something that I will not give away the ending to, but it is is much larger and more obtrusive than you would think. <laughs> Sounds good. Recommendation noted. Yes. And that is, you know, perhaps a topic for another time is the role that embarrassment plays in humor, because there's lots of humor that from Lucille Ball on, on to the present that you sort of feel embarrassed watching it. And that is Part of the appeal and Borat, who is all of those things are replete with that, especially when it involves a reality TV element. And so, you know, the embarrassment is yeah. real. So that is a key part of Nathan for you, which literally makes me stop it <laughs> constantly. I don't watch it with another person. I just watch it on my iPad or whatever. And I yeah. will just, as soon as I'm feeling uncomfortable, I will stop it. I will do something else. I'll maybe run around the room. So I find it so funny, but I find it so physically hurtful (laughs) (laughs) it has an effect impactful yeah yes yes it is a a masochistic sort of love that i have for the show well here's something something you can you could chew on all comedy has a victim and i think that when you hear comedians complaining about pc movement and woke and whatnot and why do we have to make fun of people is there anything to the notion that perhaps all humor has a victim it is in the nature of humor itself 
Thanks, listeners. Thanks, supporters. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Mark. Super fun as always. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.